Well, good morning, church. Oh, we can do better. Come on. Good morning, church. There we go. Wake up. Oh, that's kind of the theme today, so you got to do that, right? Good morning. It's glad, I'm glad, we, again, that we can be together uh, in this place. Um, if you've been in and out this summer, I can catch up real quick. We've been talking about this whole idea of, of what does it mean for you to make a move in your life, and where maybe is Jesus calling you to make a move in your life closer toward him? So we've been looking at the story of Jesus as told by one of his closest followers, a man by the name of Mark. Uh, and his story of, of the movement of Jesus all the way towards the cross. And I, I've asked that we leave this cross up as we kind of land this series this week and next week, because it's at this point in the story that Jesus is drawing nearer and nearer towards this moment where he is going to face and, in fact, embrace the cross. And this morning as we begin, I want to start with these words. I heard Francis Chan say this once, and I thought it was really important for us to hear these words today. He once said this, We never grow closer to God when we just live life. And maybe that's kind of where, where you've been for a while. And, and, and maybe you've experienced this. We never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit, in this word, attentiveness. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. I have a confession to make. I don't know if I'm the only one that struggles with this, I don't know if maybe you have this problem too. It could be just me because I I am different and weird and I get that and that's okay. Uh, But I have this problem. It's really kind of surfaced over the last couple of years. And maybe it's just that I'm getting older. I don't know what it is. Uh, It's kind of embarrassing. It happens from time to time. And again, just full transparency, this is just my problem, something I've been struggling with for some time. Maybe some of you, if you have this problem, you can come up to me afterwards, give me some good advice about how to overcome uh, this thing that I'm dealing with. But I have this real problem. When we take our kids to the movies, I can't stay awake. Uh, you ever done this, like kid movies? Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, my two oldest kids were gone different places. Alicia was out doing something. It was me and Emma at home. Incredibles 2, the brand new Incredibles movie had just come out. And I was like, hey, let's, me and you, let's go, let's, daddy-daughter day, let's go to the movies. So we go to the movies. And I don't know if you've been to theaters these days, but they have these super soft leather seats now. And they recline. Are you kidding me? Uh, the ACs crank down. The lights go out. And like 15 minutes later, like, I am snoozing. I'm just hoping there are good people in this theater because somebody could walk away with my daughter, let's be honest. It's a, it's a real struggle, and it's a real ordeal, even at home. We'll get on the couch. The kids will get up next to me. I'll prop my feet up. We'll turn on some kid movie, and maybe it's one we've seen 100 times anyway. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. But it, it never fails. 15 minutes later, I'm snoozing. They're elbowing me in the side. Wake up. Stop snoring. You're being too loud. I'm turning into an old man. This is the problem, people. This is, this is really the problem. I, I don't know if you have this trouble. I think all of us at different points, we realize we have trouble staying awake, you know, for important, important things. Some of you are having trouble staying awake. You're in the sermon. I get that too. That's totally fine. Uh, but have you ever done this? Have you ever had trouble staying awake while you're, while you're driving? I've told this story before, but several years ago, Alicia and I were on a road trip and we decided to, to drive back late that night. We had five or six hours to drive. We thought, let's skip the hotel. Let's just, let's just power through. Let's just drive the whole way. So we stopped by the gas station. We get you know, all the caffeine we can get. Windows are down. Music is up. You know, we think if we drive through, we'll get home 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And it was the hardest thing ever. Like, I just can't stay awake and drive through the night like I once could. And, and, and ever since that night, we've never done that again. We always just pony up the money for the hotel and sleep and then start again the next day. It, it's, it's dangerous, you know this. It's dangerous to fall asleep at the wheel when you're driving, but it's also really dangerous to fall asleep at the wheel when you're living. 
And this is the question I want you to think about today. What happens? What happens when we fall asleep at the will at the most important things in our lives? What happens when you fall asleep at the will in your, in your marriage? What happens when all of your communication just becomes details about the day's events and who's going to get the kids where and to what? What happens when you stop talking? What happens when you're just ships passing in the night? What happens when you fall asleep at the wheel to the most important human relationship in the world? What happens when you fall asleep at the wheel in, in your parenting with your kids? What happens when you get disconnected from them? What happens when you don't know what's going on in their life and, and you just become an ATM and a taxi to all their activities? What happens when, when, when you just get disengaged and, and it's not because you don't want to, but something's happened, something's changed and what happens when you fall asleep at the wheel with your friends and you don't know what's going on anymore? You've kind of gotten out of the loop and, and sometimes it makes you angry. Sometimes you get hurt, but the truth is you just fell asleep at the wheel and now you don't know what's going on anymore and you're starting to feel alone. What happens when that happens? What happens when you fall asleep at the wheel in, in your work and in, in the job that God gave you to the people God gave you to work with? What happens when you get you know, burned out or stressed out or worn out or, or you start checking out because you're just, you're just tired of it all and, and you fall asleep at the wheel to what's going on with the work God gave you to do and, and now you don't know what's going to happen next? What happens? What happens when you fall asleep at the wheel on your church? Not just this church. This is true of, of any church and true of any members of any church. What happens when you fall asleep at the wheel on your church and, and you're not engaged anymore. You're not inviting, investing, or engaging in our language. You're not involved anymore. You've, come, you've become disconnected. You've, you've, you've come and, and you've consumed. You've come to get fed. you come to receive. But you've stopped coming and you've stopped giving. You've stopped serving. You've stopped being a part of the life of the body. You, you become more of a consumer than a contributor. What happens when that happens? And what happens, maybe most importantly... What happens when you fall asleep at the will in your walk with Christ? Some of you are there this morning. What happens when you, when you can't remember the last time you really prayed? What happens when you can't remember the last time you opened your Bible and you read the words of Jesus for yourself? What happens when you can't remember the last time like you, you gave yourself permission to lose yourself in worship? What happens when you can't remember the last time you really felt the presence of God in your heart and in your life? It's dangerous to fall asleep at the wheel when you're driving, but I, I, I think it's also just as dangerous, if not more so, to fall asleep at the wheel when you're living. And sometimes we need somebody, like my kids on the couch, to elbow us in the side, except maybe a little more gently, and remind us to wake up wake up. To wake up to what's going on right in front of us. To awaken to what God is doing in our presence. To be awake and to be alert and to be aware of what's going on in our relationships with each other and with God. And that, I think that's exactly what's happening in this story we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can open up to Mark 14. Again, we're drawing near to this moment where Jesus is going towards the cross. He's in Jerusalem. And in Mark 14, this is kind of where we're at in, in this moment with Jesus. He knows that the cross at this point is literally moments 
away. And before he goes to face the cross, he, he gets with his disciples in an upper room to celebrate one more time the Passover meal. And again, the Passover meal was a meal they, they took part of every year to remember the time when God used the blood of a lamb to, to save them, to rescue them, to deliver them from death. When, when he delivered them from, from, uh, from Egypt to the Exodus, he delivered them from, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, from you know, death to life. This is this incredible moment in their history, and every year they get together, and they celebrate it the same way. They say the same thing every time. They use the same words, the same language every time to pass on the story to their children and their children's children that this is what God has done for us. This is the God that we serve. This is what we remember every year. And Jesus gets with his disciples in this upper room, and they begin to break bread again and take the cup again. But this time, Jesus does something that for them was astonishing. For us, it's, we, if for those of us who have seen it before, we just think it's, it's, it's normal. But for them, it wasn't because he changed the language. He used new words. And no one would ever do that. No one would ever mess with Passover. But Jesus did. And he made it less about what God had done in the past and more about what God was doing in the present. And he said, take this bread and, and, and I want you to, to take it and eat it and partake in it because this is my body that's about to be broken for you. And take this cup and, and take it and drink it. This is, this is the blood, my blood, the blood of the new covenant that's about to be poured out for you. And they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Jesus knew what was around the next corner. They didn't quite get it yet. But Jesus was giving them a new story to tell, a new meal to celebrate, a new thing to remember. And after that moment, they sang a song. And Mark says they went to the Mount of Olives. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark 14, verse 27. Again, if you have the Bible or the Bible app, you can follow along there. Just a heads up, today I am going to read from a different translation than normal. This is from the Christian Standard Bible. I just like the language here a little bit better for our purposes today. In Mark 14, 27, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, All of you, again, these guys have been with him for about three years. They're his closest friends. All of you will fall away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus is, is on the way to the cross, and he looks at his disciples. And, and I think if, if you or I were there that day, this would have been really hard to hear. For Jesus to look you in the eye after you've spent all this time together, if you've, after you've endured so much together, to look you in the eye and to say, you're about to desert me. You're about to abandon me. I'm about to be all alone. And you guys are going to be nowhere to be found. I know this would be hard for me to hear. I think it was really hard for Peter to hear. Peter speaks up. Again, he speaks up first. And he says, Peter said in verse 29, Peter told him, even, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. Even if all these guys abandon you, Jesus, I won't abandon you. Verse 30, truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. I don't know about you, I think this is a pretty remarkable little moment in the relationship between Jesus and Peter. Because Jesus does something here that, I don't know if you and I would have done it. He tells Peter the truth. And I'm not saying that you and I would have been dishonest. I think if you and I were Jesus in that moment, we might have tried to encourage Peter. We might have tried to convince Peter to do something different than what he was about to do. But, but Jesus doesn't try to, try, to, try to encourage him or comfort him or coach him. He tells him the truth. Peter, 
you're, you're saying you're not going to fail me, you're not going to fall away from me, you're not going to abandon me, you're not going to desert me, but tonight, tonight, three times, you're going to deny me. I think, I think, Jesus, I think Jesus was trying to, to tell Peter something, communicate something that, that, quite frankly, Peter needed to know, and maybe you need to know too, but I think Jesus wanted Peter to know before it ever happened that he already knew what was going to happen and that he loved him anyway. In other words, that that Peter's failure wouldn't preclude him from being a follower. That Peter's perfection was never a condition for his love. And that, that may be a word you need to hear today, and we, we can just take a time out and camp here just for a moment. Because for a lot of us in our human relationships, this is the way it works. Like, we feel like perfection is a requirement for love. Like, for us to receive love from parents, from teachers, from coaches, from employers, from grandparents, from fellow employees, from friends, the list goes on and on. So often we feel like in our relationships with each other that people expect perfection. And if we're less than perfect, then we won't receive their love. And honestly, sometimes that's true. Because you know, like I know, that every human relationship you have is a broken relationship. It's imperfect. And as humans, what we do is we give and we take love away depending on the performance of other people. But God doesn't do that. And I think Jesus wanted Peter to know in this moment, hey, your perfection isn't a condition for my love. And that's true for you too. Your perfection isn't a condition for God's love. We've said this way in this room before that, that God, there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. And that is so true. But it's also true, there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you more because God's love for you is perfect. It's unchanging. It's unyielding. It's unrelenting. It's just present. It is what it is. And you can't change it. You can be really, really good in your eyes. You can be really, really bad in your eyes. God's love for you is, is the same. It's the same. God's love for you is perfect. And Jesus' love for Peter was perfect. But Peter kept insisting, verse 31, if I have to, Jesus, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all, and they all said the same thing. All the disciples agreed. No matter what, Jesus, we're in this. We're with you. We're not going to do it. We're not going to deny you. We're not going to desert you. We're not going to abandon you. We're not going to fall you, fail you. We're not, we're not going to leave you. And you can just see Jesus just shaking his head, smiling. Like, yeah, just wait. Verse 32, they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now, Gethsemane there, close to the Mount of Olives, it literally means oil press. So Jesus goes to a place where, 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 where olives are crushed for their oil, and it's in this place that Jesus himself will be crushed and pressed. If you ever needed his friends, it's right now. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here, and you can underline these words, stay awake. Remain here and stay awake. Jesus, with a cross 
right around the next corner, goes to a place of pressing, goes, goes to a place of, of crushing, and, and where he's going to pray with his closest friends, and he pulls these guys aside, and he says, stay here, remain with me, be alert, be attentive, stay awake, keep watch. I want you to be in the moment, be very present to what is happening here. If I ever needed you, I need you right now, and I need you to stay awake. If you've ever doubted that the struggle was real for Jesus, if you ever doubted his humanity, Mark wants, to, wants you to see Jesus is feeling the full weight of all that's about to happen. And by the way, if you've ever been in a moment or if you're in a moment now where you're feeling the full weight of your life, and Jesus knows what it feels like. Jesus went a little farther. And he fell to the ground. It's not like he went over and he picked a tree to kneel down and pray by. Jesus is walking alone and he collapses. And he prays. That if it were possible, God, Father, Abba, if it's possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, he literally said, Abba, Father, an affectionate term for Father, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. If there's any other way other than the cross to save the world, I'm opting for that. <laughs> Nevertheless, not what I will. Not, not what I will but what you will. Is that, does that catch you off guard a little bit? I don't know about you, but when I pray, my prayer is often more about my will than God's will. Like, God, these are, this is my will. These are my plans. This is what I think needs to happen. Will you bless this? Will you have favor over this? Will you help me with this? Or I've already started this. Would you come and get on board with what I'm already doing, you know, to make this happen, make this successful, to make this project work, to make this deal happen, to, to fix this situation, to fix this relationship, whatever it is. I've got it. I just need your help with this. That's not the way Jesus prays. Jesus is wide awake to the will of of the Father. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And after praying this desperate prayer, after falling to the ground, carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and crying out to Abba Father, he comes back, verse 37, he came back to his disciples. And guess what he found? For me, this is unimaginable. For us, this is unthinkable. But he found his disciples sleeping. They literally fell asleep at the will. He said to Peter, and catch this. This is subtle, but this is huge. He said to Peter, he didn't say Peter. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? When Jesus first met Simon, he gave him the name Peter. And ever since that day, he always called him Peter, which literally means rock. But now he walks back to his disciples, to his closest followers, to Peter, James, and John. And he finds him asleep. And he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him by his former name because I think Simon had reverted to his former nature. And he says, Simon, you better believe that got his attention. Simon, are you asleep? Seriously? Are you asleep? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Why are you sleeping? And again, I think the good news for you and me is that Jesus isn't calling you to perfection. If you had to be perfect to follow Jesus, these 12 guys that he picked on the front end, this whole deal wouldn't have worked out, right? If you follow the life and times of the disciples of Jesus all through any gospel story, you find that over and over again, failure is a part of their story. They're constantly falling asleep at the wheel. Over and over again, they abandon Jesus. They desert Jesus. They don't get Jesus. 
But over and over again, Jesus keeps calling them to follow him because Jesus isn't calling. He's never called you or me or them to perfection. He's calling us to a direction. He's calling us into following him, into taking that long walk with Jesus in the same direction. He's always been less concerned with our momentary failure and more concerned with the overall trajectory of our lives. And I would never want to make light of your sin or your failure, but I want you to know that God is concerned with the direction of your life. And he wants Peter and these disciples to know that too. I want you to follow me, but in this moment I want you to stay awake. And in verse 38 he says it again the third time now. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be attentive to what God is doing in this moment. Because literally in this moment, God is working out eternal salvation for every human in the history of the world. This is a big deal. You want to be awake for this. You don't want to sleep through this movie. Like, this is something you need to wake up to. Stay alert. Pray. Be present to what God is doing in this moment because what God is doing in this moment is huge. And I don't want you to miss it. I want you to stay awake and to pray and to be present with me in this moment. Wake up. Wake up. And it made me wonder, for you and me, as modern-day disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, are you awake? Am I awake? Are you awake to what God is doing in the world around you, or are you asleep? Are you having trouble staying awake? Are you asleep at the will to the activity of God in the world around you too? I love the story of, of Morton Lauridson. He's 75 years old. Some people say he's the greatest living American composer of choral music. He's really well known for one of his pieces. In Latin, uh, the name is, uh, I'll probably mispronounce it, but it's called Lux Eterna. It means eternal light. It's about a 25, 30-minute piece, at least from what I've heard. It's beautiful. Uh, I've got a video here of this choir and the symphony in Belgium, and I think you'll hear it playing behind me in just a moment. I want you to hear it. It's in Latin, so you may not understand it, but I want you to hear the beautiful music that Morton Lawrenson composed. It's been played numerous times around the world. Uh, Morton tells the story of one of his friends, a dear friend who was a conductor, in fact, a conductor that had conducted this piece numerous times. Uh, his friend fell into a deep coma. And you can imagine, some of you have experienced this, but you can imagine how it felt for him to go to the hospital room and to see his friend literally laying lifeless, asleep, breathing, but nothing else. They talked to the doctors and no one knew, you know, if he would ever wake up. They didn't know if this would be weeks or days or months or years. There was just, there was just no way to know what would happen with his friend, if he would be able to wake up or not. But Morton went to the hospital, went into the hospital room to visit his dear friend, his conductor friend, and just to be with him. He went into the room, and, and Morton tells a story of how he, he, he went into the room, and he just stood over his friend, and he began to sing this song. The song that he had written, the song that his friend had conducted several times. And the words start like this, Rest eternal, grant to them, O Lord. 
and let perpetual light shine upon them. A hymn befits thee, O God, in Zion, and to thee a vow shall be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Hear my prayer, for unto thee all flesh shall come. Rest eternal granted them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. He began singing, singing this song over his friend about perpetual light, eternal light shining down on his friend. And no one there that day will ever forget what happened next as he began to sing. His friend had been laying lifeless in a coma for weeks. As he began to sing, his conductor friend lifted a hand and began to direct the choir as Morton kept singing the words to the song Light Eternal. A few weeks later, his friend would actually wake up. But it was unbelievable to see the power of music and how it woke up his song in his heart. And it even caused him to make a move in his state of being in a coma to direct an imaginary choir in his head. I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel like you're in a bit of a spiritual coma. Maybe you feel like you've been asleep at the wheel for a long time in your marriage or with your kids or with your friends or at your job or with the church or with the people around you. You know, God's call in our lives is to love others and to love him. But so often what happens is we fall asleep. We're sleepwalking through life. We're just going through the motions. Yeah, we're showing up, but we're checked out. And I wonder if we don't need to wake up. To wake up. Uh, My two big kids this past week were away at camp, church camp, like a lot of your kids. And I love hearing them tell me the stories about how how was camp for you. And I was asking my son, Will, he just turned 12 this past week. How was camp? What did you love? What was good about it? What was amazing? What, What was, you know, how did it go? And we got to talking about worship, and I was like, tell me about that. How was, how was worship for you at camp? And he said, Dad, and you can just imagine how this makes my heart feel as a father. He's like, Dad, it was, it was powerful. Sitting in nature, singing with all these people, it was powerful. The same thing that happened for our students is they go to Wilderness Expedition, and they climb this huge mountain, 13-some-odd thousand feet, and they stand on the summit, and they look out over God's creation, and they begin to worship. And what happens? It's powerful. What happens? You wake up. You wake up to the presence of God. And I just wonder if we don't need to wake up. If we don't need to let this song be our anthem. That Christ is risen from the dead. Trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. And we are one with him again. Come awake. Come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Today, this is just my prayer for you and for us and for all of us. I just want to encourage you, but I want to nudge you, and I want to invite you to wake up, to stay awake with Jesus, to be awake, to be alert, to be aware, to keep watch, to be attentive to what God is doing, to be present to what God is doing in your presence. To be aware. To know that God is alive. That Jesus is moving. And yes, he often moves in invisible ways behind the scenes. Sometimes it's not till weeks or days or years later that we look back and we see what God has done. But don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be aware. God 
God is moving. Jesus is still on the move. And what's amazing is he's invited you and I into that story to be on the move with him. But we have to wake up. We have to wake up. We have to wake up and to join the ministry of Jesus that continues on today through his people, through his church. To participate, like Jesus said, in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And if you ever abandon Jesus, if you ever fail him, if you ever desert him for a moment, that doesn't disqualify you from being his follower. It just means you're human. Again, God is calling you to a direction. Jesus wants you to follow him. He wants you to take that long walk with him in the same direction. But what he wants for all of us is to wake up to what he is doing in our lives, to wake up to what he's doing in our families, to wake up to what he's doing at our places of work, to wake up to what he's doing in our neighborhood, to wake up to the people around us, to wake up to him, to wake up to his word, to wake up in worship, to wake up and sing. To wake up, to be aware of what God is doing in and among us. Because God is alive, and he's wide awake, and he's at work in our lives. Church, if you would, let's stand together. I'll say these words over you again. We never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 5, 14. He said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So this morning, if, if you've fallen asleep, if you're a follower of Jesus, and for whatever reason you've just kind of been sleep, sleepwalking, going through the motions, you're, just not, you're, you're asleep at the wheel, let, let me just remind you, encourage you today, let me nudge you. Let me give you a little elbow on the side and say, wake up. Wake up. Oh, sleeper, wake up. The light of Christ, the perpetual light, the eternal light of Christ is calling you to wake up. And if for whatever reason you've never woken up to the reality of the love of God for you, let me invite you again today to wake up to the incredible love of God, to wake up to what life is like with God, to walk through the waters of baptism from death to life. We might say today, from being asleep to being fully awake to life with Jesus. Our elders and our wives, they're going to make their way around the room and we're going to sing this song. And if you need to wake up for the first time or if you need their help to maybe ask God to wake you up again, I mean, they would love to, to pray with you and talk with you and encourage you and bless you. For the rest of us, though, this is my challenge this week. Let's leave this place with wide, eyes wide open and let's be present to what God is doing in our presence. Because the love of God is strong enough to wake us up and invite us in to what he is doing for the benefit of our church, for the spread of the gospel, and for the glory of his great name. Let's sing.